Good morning, brothers and sisters. Welcome to Christ Church. As always, it's nice to see everyone here again as we meet with God for worship. A few announcements. As always, Wednesday evening, our ladies' Bible study here. I believe it's at 7 o'clock. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. 7 o'clock here, Wednesday evening, ongoing ladies' Bible study. Next week is Reformation Sunday. Fellowship meal, yet again. We just had one a couple weeks ago. Another fellowship meal next week. And then we're going to do something a little different this year. We'll have, because the church is a little larger, we'll have adult teaching in here. Simultaneously, the children will be outside for their activities all around the theme. Now, so the theme is either reforming the church calendar, what the Reformation had to say about the church calendar, or perhaps John came up with Father Christmas versus the Puritan Grinch. So, anyway, it's going to be good. Please be here next week, Reformation Sunday. Follow the emails, um, and, and we'll have a church-wide fellowship meal, and it's always a good time. Adam, do you want to talk about reverse trick-or-treating? So... Uh, this is uh, once a year we get an opportunity where our neighbors do not get angry uh, at us for knocking on their doors, and uh, they actually give us candy. And in return, we will uh, give them uh, a little New Testament uh, Bible, uh, a good, solid gospel booklet, um, and uh, some information about our church. And we call it reverse trick-or-treating, and we make our children do the legwork of the evangelism and they ring the door and then uh, they're cute and they can't be refused to take uh, church info so it's a great ministry uh, and we do it uh, on Halloween night uh, and um, so we'll meet up here Monday evening and this isn't just for little ones uh, adults uh, too um, and uh, y'all dress up and we'll have a good time and so we'll meet up here 545, head out around 6. We'll probably split up to a few different locations, and then we'll meet back up at the church afterwards and have uh, pizza and things like that. So it's a good time. Uh, one thing uh, also regarding Reformation Day and reverse trick-or-treating, um, prep day's going to be uh, this Saturday, um, and so a few of us Hopefully more than a few of us will be up here. I'm inviting you to come Saturday, and please help us get ready for Reformation Day. And we'll also be getting the little baggies ready uh, for reverse trick-or-treating. So a lot of little things to do and prep for that. So um, if you're interested, let me know, and uh, I'll give you the details. Probably my home fellowship group uh, will be up here helping out, but everybody's uh, uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. All right, and the last announcement, uh, just a reminder, November 11th, Evening of the Arts, musical acts. If you have one, you have some musical talent, share it with us. Culinary talent, share it with us. Artistic talent, share it with us. Evening of the Arts, November 11th. If we don't get enough people signed up, we might start volunteering you. So, all right, the most important thing we do week in and week out is to gather here as a covenant community to worship our covenant God so setting aside the cares and concerns of school, of work, of family, of yard work, everything that's a distraction to us, this is the hour of worship 
Let's prepare our hearts and our minds to do that. Brothers and sisters, we are gathered in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. 
and delivered me from all my fears. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let's stand together and sing to this God, our God, hymn 668, who trusts in God a strong abode. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for calling us to yourself, for bringing us out of the darkness and into your light, for freeing us from the chains of sin that made us slaves, and then putting your son's yoke on us instead. He is a good master and a good Lord, and his burden is light. Father, you've been faithful to us because you can do no other. You are faithful. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. And you don't forget your promises, the promises you've made to do good to us, your creatures, not because we deserve it, but because of your own good pleasure. You've done this through your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask that he be praised, honored, believed in, and lifted up this morning. Not just here, but in all the world. And not just with our mouths, but with sincerity in our hearts. We ask that your Holy Spirit enable us to do this. From the oldest to the youngest here, may your children, no matter our age, hear your word and look to Christ in faith, in childlike faith. We ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, please be seated. As we uh, enter what we do week after week, 
uh, our corporate confession of sin together. Uh, just to note, uh, our bulletin is often posted uh, uh, at least a couple of days um, before uh, the Lord's Day on our website. So y'all can look at this. We're about to pray a prayer that's uh, written out for us, right? And so uh, I think it's always good for us to uh, um, look at that ahead of time. If you haven't done it, don't feel guilty and uh, start reading real quick. But um, uh, it's good. I remind my children, you know, uh, what we say matters and what we pray we should mean. And so uh, just a reminder that you can look at the bulletin uh, ahead of time and uh, and do these things. But our Lord, uh, our God calls us to confess our sins uh, uh, privately and and uh, and sometimes uh, one to another. And we do this uh, corporately, confessing our need of Him. So let's do that uh, now. Psalm one sixteen verses one and two say, "I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy." Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. So with that, let us uh, uh, bow our heads and uh, pray this prayer of uh, 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 one with another, saying, Eternal God, whose covenant with us is never broken, we confess that we have failed to fulfill your will for us. We betray our neighbors, desert our friends, and run in fear when we should be loyal. Though you have bound yourself to us, we have not bound ourselves to you. Our faithful Father, have mercy on us, weak and willful people. Lead us once again to your Son's table and unite us to Christ, who is the bread of life and the vine from which we grow in grace. To Christ be praised forever. We pray in his name. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, arise and hear what God has to say to his people as we read the Declaration of Forgiveness from 1 John chapter 4. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So we can, uh, this morning declare to you what our Lord has declared to us, that if any man or woman, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation, and your sins are forgiven. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that's our Savior says, uh, uh, through faith in him, you can have confidence that your sins are forgiven. This is good news. Amen.
Please be seated. And let us pray uh, once again, which is no burden, uh, that God would uh, uh, bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Our Father, we again bow our heads to call upon you for help. We need help in this specific area of our hearts to receive your word as it's read and then preached to us. We are often blinded, distracted, or just not careful to observe what you've revealed to us in your word. Save us from this, Father. Save us from our own betraying hearts. Who can reach into our will and change it except you, O God? Who can take a sinful people and cause them to have affection for a holy and just God? It's only you. And so we ask that your spirit do, the, do his work this morning to your people. As we, as we read what you have spoken through your servant Isaiah and Peter, we ask that you enable us to understand and believe and repent. Save us from thinking that these rebukes are for someone else, for those other guys. Give us the gift of seeing ourselves in truth as wretched and often hypocritical sinners. And then have us run to Christ our Savior and embrace him, the one who died for us, who lived for us, who still lives for us and intercedes for us even now. We ask for our own good because it is good to trust in you, but uh, mostly we ask for your namesake and for your glory. And we ask it in the name of your son. Amen. All righty. Well, you might notice that our reading of Scripture is not printed in the bulletin. And so, uh, in your copy of God's Word, or there's uh, pew Bibles in front of you, uh, turn to the first chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1, it's on page 566 in the Pew Bible. And let us uh, hear what our Lord has for his people. Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves 
Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. May God bless us as we hear, have just heard his word. May we understand it and uh, receive it by faith and uh, as well as the sermon that's to come. But with that, let us stand and sing hymn 411, Shine Thou Upon Us, Lord, hymn 411. You may be seated.
I think this is the third and maybe even the fourth, I can't remember, uh, time we've looked at this text in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, and it will be our final time this time through uh, that we look at this text. I've I've, uh, reproduced the whole uh, context of this text for you, but our focus is going to be on verses 20 and 21, uh, but the surrounding verses are helpful in supporting those verses, which will be our primary focus. And so I would ask you to call your attention to 1 Peter 3, verses 18 through 22. And it's good to always remember that uh, the voice you're going to hear in a moment is the voice of a man, uh, but the words are the words of the one, only, true, and living God. Verse 18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. I think there was a uh, notice that was uh, sent out this week. Some of you may have uh, received it, uh, indicating that the topic of today's message would be baptism. And I thought to myself, yeah, well, okay, baptism is mentioned, and so we're going to have to look at something uh, related to to baptism, but I don't think it will be the uh, content of the message that you might expect when somebody says the topic of the sermon today is baptism. Uh, In most Reformed circles, preaching is done in what is called an expository way. An expository preaching means we take a text and then we preach from the text. Uh, That's in contrast to, say, a topical sermon, where you pick pick a topic and then draw from a variety of texts in order to support or inform the topic. Expository preaching endeavors to take the text and then lift the message from the text. And so I say that in order to say this— This text does not address how baptism is to be performed. It's not in the text. It doesn't tell us should baptism be by pouring water out or sprinkling those who are being baptized, uh, or should it be done by having those being baptized fully immersed into water and then brought up out of water. This text does not address that. Neither does this text address who should be baptized. Should baptism, as a sign of the covenant, be applied to believers and their children, uh, or should baptism only be applied to those who are believers only and only after uh, they make a credible profession 
of faith in Christ. This text does not address how baptism is to be done. It does not address who is to be baptized. And so, neither will I. So now you get over your disappointment as you were anticipating that. And let's see what the text does tell us about baptism. Verse 20. Eight persons were brought safely through water. And then something clicked in Peter's mind, and we're going to look into that, because he immediately says, baptism, which corresponds to this, the this being the whole Noahic account and the flood water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. And so somehow in Peter's mind, as he's been rehearsing uh, in his mind the history of Noah and that event and God's commanding him to build the ark and warning him that judgment is coming and that he and his family and anyone else uh, that desired to be spared from the wrath to come would be safe in the ark and how the flood waters came and all who were outside. As Peter has brought that to his mind, there's something about baptism that he thinks corresponds. There's some correspondence. There's some similarity. There's some relationship uh, there. Uh, But Peter is not arguing for an exact one-to-one correspondence. He doesn't say, as they were brought through the waters and eight were saved, and this is exactly like baptism now. He he doesn't say that. He he says it corresponds to baptism. There are are some uh, similarities, some relationship between the two. And we know that Peter does not have in mind some kind of exact mechanical one-to-one correspondence between the flood waters of Noah's day and the baptismal waters of our day because I suspect many, if not most of you, already have thought about the dissimilarities between those two. Okay, for example, in our day, the ones who are saved are subjected to the waters of baptism. In Noah's day, the ones who were lost were subjected to the waters. In our day, the ones who got wet were the ones who were saved. In their day, the ones who were dry are the ones who were saved. Or, again, in our day, baptism is a sign of God's blessing. In Noah's day, the waters of the flood were a sign of God's judgment. Not similar at all. And then finally, uh, in baptism, those who are covered by the waters are the saved ones. In Noah's day, those who were covered by the waters were the lost ones. Okay, so you see the differences and dissimilarities between the two. But what, did, what was it that uh, triggered Peter to bring up baptism in the context of Noah? There must be some resemblance between the two. And, of course, I think uh, there is some resemblance and maybe more than one things that are, that are similar. As we think about those who were saved then, the eight in the ark, Think about those who were saved then. And as we think about and compare that to those of us who are saved now. Okay? And I'm going to mess it up unless I read it. So I'm just going to read it. The way they were saved back then 
They were saved by going through the waters of judgment while safely inside the ark. In Noah's day, they were saved by going through the waters of judgment as they were safely in the ark. In a similar way, in our day, we are saved by going through the waters of baptism inside the safety of Christ. And so, at least on that level, there is a resemblance. The saved through the waters of baptism, now safely in Christ. The saved going through the waters of judgment, safely in the ark. That could be it. That, That might be all that Peter has in mind as far as the judgment and those who were saved in Noah's day and baptism and those of us who are saved today. Or the salvation event in which Noah was saved in the ark is like the salvation event in which we are saved in Christ. There's a great similarity between those things. In Noah's day, what was the message? Judgment is coming. There is safety in the ark that God has provided. Flee to the ark and you will be safe. What is the message in our day? Part of the good news is the warning of the bad news. Judgment is coming. But there is safety in Christ. Flee to Christ. Put your faith and hope and trust in Christ. Because just as in Noah's day, all of those outside of the ark perished. And and I think I'm as guilty of this as any. We we just rush over that too quickly to, to, to think of the horrendous, horrific loss of life. I mean, men, women, children, they all perished outside of the ark. And the scripture tells us there is a day coming when men and women, all those outside of Christ, will perish apart from saving faith in him. And so Peter sees these similarities between Noah, the message of salvation, the warning of judgment, and the ark, the symbol of baptism, the offer of salvation through faith in Christ, of which baptism is a symbol, among other things. We'll we'll see that in just a moment. This is a digression. This is an aside, but we're here, and so I'm just going to do it. Never get the idea that baptism means or symbolizes just one thing. That's the mistake I made. I was saved in a Reformed Baptist church, and then years later I saw the light uh, but, uh, concerning baptism. But I used to read books that said, you know, baptism means this. And they'd say the one thing that baptism means. And then I'd read another article or book. No, baptism doesn't mean this. Baptism means this, with supporting scripture. And then I'd read something else. No, baptism doesn't mean this, and it doesn't mean this. Baptism means this, and symbolizes and represents this. And I thought, okay, what's going on here? This is during my seminary days. And so I started looking into it, and I'm sure I'm not the only person or the first person for whom the lights went on, that in Scripture, baptism represents 
and symbolizes a lot of things. It is a rich symbol. It is an extensive symbol. There are any number of things that our attention is drawn to through the ritual of baptism. It's not just just one thing. And so one of the things that came to Peter's mind was baptism as the ritual of salvation, inclusion in the safety that is in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And so in this text, again, just sort of jumping a little bit, I'd say there are three observations we could make, and they really are uh, something of the way of application. Don't get the idea this is the end. Usually at the end, it's not here's the application. Now this is just the middle, just so you know. Don't get ready to leave. (laughs) But first of all, in the text and in the scriptures, we do learn that only eight were saved. Only eight were saved. Now what we're supposed to get out of that is, at least in the mercy of God, it was not the case that all perished. Okay, God could have rightly it wasn't that Noah was saved because he was sinless. He was saved because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> That's why he was saved. He was saved by grace, not by works. So all could have perished, but eight were saved. And I emphasize that so that we understand not to lose hope. Noah knew whom he had believed, and he was persuaded that he was able to keep that which he committed against him, into him, unto him, against that day. In a, in a similar vein, I um, read J.C. Ryle's commentary on the Gospels, and he was making his remarks about the thief on the cross, the, the, the thief on the cross um, uh, where he says to Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will be with me today in paradise. And Ryle makes this comment, which I have memorized because I found it so helpful and sobering. J.C. Ryle says this, there is one deathbed confession of faith in the Bible so that none will lose hope. But there is only one so that none will presume. I love that quote. There is one deathbed profession of faith so that none will lose hope, but there is only one so that none will presume. And again, I think of the uh, great sinners in the hands of an angry God, uh, the sermon so rich in a variety of illustrations. And one of the ones that is used in that sermon He talks about the arrows of death fly unseen in the noonday sun. You know. And so this is actually intended to give us hope. Again, it's a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. As long as there is breath, there is hope. You know, you you have friends and relatives that seem beyond God being able to save them. It just feels that way to us. We'd never admit it. It's contrary to everything we believe. But it feels that way sometimes. But it's not true. No one is beyond God's ability to save them as long as there is breath. As long as there is breath, there is hope. Keep praying for him. 
Keep witnessing to him. Keep loving him. Keep embracing him. Keep directing them to Christ as long as there is breath. There's so. That was number one. Number two, and I really just made mention of this a moment ago, judgment can come at any time. That's what the text and the Noahic event teaches us. Judgment can come at any time. You remember how it's described in the Bible. In the days of Noah, people were marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking. What's that a description of? It's a description of normal, everyday life. Life was just going on. What was it like in Noah's day, the day before the rains came and the foundations of the earth were opened? It was a day like this. You know, it doesn't look like the world is going to end tomorrow. In Noah's day, it didn't look like the end was going to be tomorrow. But there was a day when it was. And when that day came, it was too late. It was too late. Judgment can come at any time. And then thirdly, and this is really more specific to the text, uh, and I think is the reason why Peter included this. <laughs> you know, I, I think you know, we focus in on the text and we, the meaning of the words and the original Greek and everything, and you know, every once in a while we just got to back out a little bit, you know, take a deep breath, kind of get, get the, pig, the bigger picture of the context. You know, Peter is writing to persecuted Christians. We've got to remember, there, there's, a, there's a, a context, there's an audience, there's a reason why he's writing this letter, and he's writing to encourage Christians who are suffering even though they haven't done anything wrong. They're being persecuted for their faith. And I think it's in that context that Peter brings in Noah to encourage us, never give up, never quit giving the message, Never uh, stop persevering in sharing the good news with others. I, I got to thinking of this. When we think of an example, you know, when you say, who is an example of, of patience in the face of suffering? In the Bible, who, who is the example, the Bible example of patience in the face of suffering? It is Job. James says so. This is James 5.10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. So James is going to talk about patience in suffering, and he's going to point us to Job as an example of patience in suffering. Who is the example of perseverance in the face of persecution? Who is the example of perseverance in the face of persecution? It's Noah. It's Noah. Peter is taking these persecuted Christians and pointing them to Noah as the example of persevering, hanging in there in the face of persecution. In his second letter, Peter, 2 Peter 2.5, he calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. And then in our text, Peter says in verse 20, God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. And we know from other scripture that that timeline between God's telling Noah judgment is coming, prepare the ark, 
and the flood was 120 years. This is perseverance in the face of persecution. Again, I think we thought about this together once before. What was it like for Noah? What was that like for 120 years? Building the ark and giving the message. Judgment is coming. Do you think he was ever mocked? Do you think he was ever scorned or ridiculed? Was he made the butt of every joke imaginable? Building and a boat with no water necessary that, that would call for an ark in sight? What was his message? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Probably not. God loves you and has provided a way of salvation because judgment is coming. I mean, how easy would it have been to give up after 60 years of that, 70 years of that? I mean, I'm not thinking of anybody, but I think of myself. For some of us, you know, we can't stand mocking for 10 minutes. Noah put up with it for 120 years. And these Christians were facing that, mocked, scorned, ridiculed, persecuted for their faith in Christ and believing the message. And Peter brings in Noah to say to us, hang in there, don't give in, don't give up, don't give over in believing the message based on the veracity of the living God who never lies and everything he says always comes to pass. That's the reason why Peter includes this. It's as a word of encouragement, perseverance in the face of persecution. That's why Noah is there and the flood is there and why I think that rather mysterious reference to preaching to spirits in prison. In prison, I think that's all Noah. That's all the people who disobeyed in Noah's day. And Christ preached to them by his spirit in Noah to them while they were alive. And it's all about the message, hang in there, even in the face of persecution. Now in the text, uh, Peter says something that if we cut it off, is going to sound really bad, theologically speaking. Verse 21, baptism, which now corresponds to this, now saves you. Hallelujah. Let's pray and just baptize everybody. (laughs) But it doesn't stop there. Peter anticipates the possibility of misunderstanding at this point after the words have come out of his mouth in a literary sense. And so he goes on, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, not as something that can be applied externally to cleanse you, and by that you are saved. No, he says, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Peter is telling us it's not just a matter of going through the outward ritual. It is salvation is a matter of the heart. Really, I believe that statement from Peter is the, the, Peter's version of Paul's statement in Romans. 
Paul says the same thing in Romans, Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's not what it says, okay? Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I did not remember how relevant our scripture reading from Isaiah was to this. That whole text in Isaiah, I mean, did you hear it? Did you feel it? Where God says, who requires this worship? Who requires all these sacrificial animals? Who requires you coming to me day after day? You're like, you did. <laughs> you, you commanded this. You required this. Why are, what's your problem? And God is saying to them, in so many words, the words of Jesus, which I think are from Isaiah. They praise me with their lips. You know the rest of it? But their hearts are far from me. That's a word of condemnation from Christ. It's not enough to go through the outward motions without a born-again heart. And that's what Peter is saying. It's not just enough to go through baptism alone. There must be the condition of the heart that is right uh, with God. Or one writer put it this way, the salvation of God by faith in Jesus Christ is portrayed in baptism. It is not performed by baptism. The salvation of God through faith in Jesus Christ is portrayed in baptism, but it is not performed by baptism. And then the other baptismal application for us is that you know, Noah died to the world by the world undergoing the waters of judgment. That's one of the things baptism symbolizes, among many other things. Inclusion in the covenant, cleansing from sin, a new life in Christ, inclusion into the body of Christ. There are a lot of things of which baptism is a rich symbol. One of them is we are to die to the world, to die to our old self. And the waters of baptism symbolize that in the same way the waters in Noah's day symbolized him being dead to the world by the world being destroyed. We're to be dead to the world by our carnal flesh being destroyed and being alive to God and dead to the world. As in everything, it's all about Jesus. Okay? And that's where Peter ends. Talks about Christ, who's at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in subjection to him. This Jesus, who underwent judgment in our place, now lives the resurrection of Christ, the cornerstone of the Christian faith, without which there is no Christian faith, just a bunch of deluded people praying to a dead guy. Okay, that's how important. You know, you didn't think it was going to be Easter Sunday today, but you never know. And so he brings that in, that it's, it's faith in Christ. It's trusting in Christ. It's all about Christ. And I would just have you listen for a moment to these words in Revelation. Revelation 6, 15 to 17. The kings of the earth, the princes, 
the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave, and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, and they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Lamb. But he is not just the Lamb of God. He is also now even more the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And he will judge and he will pour out his righteous judicial wrath on all unrepentant sinners. How do you escape the wrath of the Lamb? You escape the wrath of the Lamb by calling upon the mercy of the Lamb whose wrath you're trying to escape. Because he's called the Lamb, we have God's guarantee that he will show mercy to all who ask him for it. He will grant the forgiveness of sins to any who ask him for it. He will receive into the ark of his own protective salvation all who go to him. He is the lamb. But he is a lamb who will someday come in wrath. It's always and only about the Savior of sinners, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is the flood But he is also the ark. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He is the judge who will by no means clear the guilty. But he is the savior who will by no means judge any who ask him for mercy. Let's pray. Lord, what a great portrayal of your mercy and grace and holiness and justice. (laughs) So may we rejoice with trembling at your goodness, even as we pray for the perseverance of Noah in a day when we might face mocking or ridicule or scorn. Let us not give up holding out the message of free grace, begging you, Lord, to pour out your Holy Spirit in a great awakening, causing all who hear to understand, believe, and be saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Uh, we, we can do a little liturgical dancing here, um, but not in the way that you're thinking. Let's take our seats because um, we were very anxious to sing that song. And in so doing, um, we do want to go back in time uh, in our way back machine and do our prayer of intercession. So, um, like I said, a little liturgical dancing here. Uh, let's go ahead and do that. Will you bow your heads with me as we go to the Lord uh, in prayer? Father, how wonderful it is to know about the power of the cross of which we've just sung and we heard from your word how Jesus has brought us, as it were, through the floodwaters, through the condemnation which is to come. And what a wonderful thing it is to know that the verdict of the last day's judgment has already been declared for God's people and that verdict is not guilty. But until that day in which our Lord returns and makes all things new, we still live in a world that is broken, that is fractured by sin. And we pray, Father, for the needs that we see around us. We pray, Father, for the nations of the world. We continue to pray for this war in Ukraine and ask, Lord, that you would bring it to an end, especially since it seems to be fueling even greater uh, um, uh, anxiety beyond its borders and may lead to even worse things. We pray, Lord, <clears throat> that you would not let it spill over and even, Lord, bring an end to the current violence. As we pray also for other nations this morning, Father, we pray for the nation of Italy, a nation uh, which uh, recently here, after facing severe economic crises, has formed a new government with a, a, a new prime minister, Georgia Maloney. Uh, Father, they have committed to uh, uh, following through on, on pushing for freedom and for the focus on, uh, on protecting safety from crime and corruption. They have um, uh, committed to restoring the family, to defending religious freedom and that of Christians, and so many other things. We pray, Lord, that that new government would, in fact, be able to do those things by your power and by your enabling in Italy, that that uh, country might move out of uh, the depths of, uh, of corruption and economic crisis in which it's been in these last 10 years or so. Father, as we pray this for Italy, we realize how desperately do we need in our own nation these very things. Again, having religious freedom protected and a commitment to the family and uh, uh, pushing back against sexual immorality and so many other things. We pray, Father, for the same in our own nation. We pray, Father, for those whom you've placed over us. You ask us to pray for kings, to lift up our hands and pray for our leaders. And so we pray for the president and for our Congress and for our Supreme Court justice. Uh, justices, for our governor, for our state legislature, for all our local magistrates. We pray that you would guide their hearts and their minds, that they together with everyone in our nation might first seek your kingdom and your righteousness so that truly order, liberty, and peace may dwell with your people. Father, as we pray for them, we also pray for the church universal, wherever it might be as it works on your behalf. And even as we've prayed for the nation of Italy, we pray for the church in Italy a church that is primarily Roman Catholic. Uh, but the people there are, for the most part, nominal, very few Christians. They say less than 10% actually even practice the Roman Catholicism. People are turning to secularism. They're turning to folk super, uh, superstition. They'd rather investigate paganism or New Age spirituality than to read a Bible. And Father, the community of evangelical believers is very small, 
But we do pray, Lord, that you would elevate their voice, that they would be faithful to the preaching and the living out of your word. That we pray, Lord, that you would remove those barriers that keep a people who are steeped in history and who are surrounded by the Bibles but are keeping them from really understanding the gospel. We pray that you would remove those barriers, Lord, so that this nation could truly be reformed and come to be able to see the light of grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, as we pray for them, we also think of some of our missionaries uh, who are there, and particularly we think of the work of ministry to military and internationals, which has a church in Vicenza, Italy. We pray for uh, Reverend Mike Graham and the elders whom he has there as they minister both to locals and to the large uh, American military community that is stationed there. We just pray your blessing upon them, Father, that they might uh, uh, comfort many people with the gospel, disciple many, and bring others who are lost to yourself. Father, we also pray for our sister churches in our denomination. This morning we lift up Providence uh, Presbyterian Church in Tulsa. We pray for her pastor, Jim Stevenson, for her elders. We pray, Lord, that you would grant this church uh, growth, not just numerically, but spiritually. We pray that you would give wisdom to her elders for uh, knowing how best to lead and how to shepherd God's people. And we just pray, Lord, that that church will be used of you to be a light in the city of Tulsa and again, point people to Jesus Christ. We pray the same for our own church, Father, and we thank you for the work that you've given us to do. We pray especially as all the different folks who are involved with um, upcoming activities get ready for Reformation Sunday. We thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to celebrate what you have done in history and how you continue to work and have continued and will continue to bring people to yourself, and we pray that we would see that next week. Be with all those who are working to put that together, as well as the things for reverse trick-or-treating. We pray that you would prepare hearts to receive these little packages that point people to the Lord and Savior, Jesus. And finally, Father, we pray for persons with particular needs in our midst. We continue to pray for the Chatterjee family, for Andrea in particular as she mourns the loss of her mother. We continue to pray for those who are struggling physically. And we remember, Father, the families who care for them, who also carry on carry a burden as they struggle on. Continue to pray for Lois Layden and Betty and Gerald Morgan, for Mercy Canales and Brandon Luter. We pray especially for Cassie Jones, Father, as she's going through a difficult time, and just ask that you be with her, with her parents, with Brody, as they circle around her and comfort her and strengthen her. We pray that you be with the doctors who are looking out for her, and just ask, Lord, that they would uh, provide the very best of care for her. We remember all our pregnant and nursing moms. We give thanks to you, Father, for them, and we pray that you keep both mother and child safe. We pray, Father, not just for those who struggle physically, but for those who struggle spiritually. And as we were reminded this morning, we pray for our unbelieving family and friends, knowing that no one is beyond your reach. After all, you saved us. And so, Father, we pray that you would be pleased to draw them to yourselves, whether through our witness or that of others that you bring into their lives. We pray that you be with those in our midst who struggle with assurance, who struggle with temptation. We pray that you would comfort them, encourage them, come alongside them and remind them that you are with us every step of the way. We pray that you be with our families, that you would strengthen our marriages, drawing the hearts of husbands and wives towards one another, centering their marriages on Christ. We pray for those who are preparing to be married or who are considering marriage. We pray that you would lead them and that you would guide them aright. We pray for those who are parents, 
Strengthen them, Father, and give them the will to raise their children and nurture an admonition to the Lord. And we pray that you be with our children, that you would keep them from harm, spiritual harm above all, and that they would learn to be obedient to their parents as unto the Lord. We pray for those who are struggling financially in these difficult times. Those who own businesses, we ask that you would prosper them. Those who need jobs or those who need a better job, we pray that you would provide them. We pray that you would meet all our needs, not just, Father, so that we can live lives of ease, but so that we can use the wealth that you give us to serve you and to live for your glory. We think of those, Father, who are traveling also these, uh, this week and uh, weeks to come, and we pray, Lord, your safety to them. And all these things, Father, things that we have uh, even not mentioned, but you know what our needs are even better than we. We commit them to you knowing that you always hear us, that you are a Father who is intimately concerned with every detail of our lives and every uh, concern that we have. You work in such a way to bring to, um, uh, to pass those things which are for our good and for the glory of your Son, Jesus. It is in his name that we pray these things. Amen. All right, folks, if you will just please stand. Let's go ahead and do the Apostles' Creed. You'll find that on page 845 of your hymnal as well as in your uh, bulletin. And you might ask, why do we do the Apostles' Creed at this point in the service? Of course, there's nothing that says we have to do it here at this point. But historically, traditionally, the Apostles' Creed is what people recited as they moved into that portion of the service that was the Lord's Supper. And since the Lord's Supper is something that is limited to those who have made a a valid profession of faith, and are seeking to love the Lord, it was a way of showing that you are committed to those things. So even though we will not do like the early church, the early church would actually stop the service right here, and if you had not yet become a member of the church and professed your faith and so on, if you were still studying and try, or, or a seeker, they would actually ask you to leave uh, because they didn't want people partaking of the supper. Well, we won't do just that, but we will have this opportunity like them to affirm what it is that we believe not just so that we can be reminded, but so the world can hear. This is what we are committed to. And as we were reminded, baptism that separates, this is one of the things that shows us that we are no longer in this world, but we have been translated by the mercy of God to that world, that kingdom under Christ. And one of the ways we do it is confessing what we believe. So with that, let us confess the faith of our baptism, saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Please be seated. People of God, just like baptism symbolizes so much and is so rich in its imagery, so is the Lord's Supper. Now that we know that we have been translated from death unto life and from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of our Lord Jesus, what does it tell us? It tells us when we come to this sacrament that the only way that that can happen was through the sacrificial and substitutionary death of our Son, of, of God's Son, Jesus. As Pastor Boxman reminded us, He is the Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb who gave of Himself and did what you and I cannot do. He lived the perfect life that none of us here can live and yet are required in order to have eternal life. And He died the death which we so richly deserve taking upon himself the full condemnation of God, which is what should have been poured out on us, but instead has been poured out on him. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah thrusts the cup of God's hot, foaming wine before the people in the symbol and says, you must drink the foaming wrath of God's, uh, the foaming wine of God's wrath. And the people are like, oh, take that away from me. You can read about it in Jeremiah. Here we are about to drink wine, but it's different. Because Jesus has drunk that, rat, that cup of God's wrath down to the very dregs, he has not left even a single drop for us. And what we have here now is no longer a cup of condemnation, but a cup of blessing. As we come to this table, we are reminded that this is the God who took us and saved us and brought us through the wrath that is to come. That verdict Each one of us will stand on that day in the judgment. You need not fear. That judgment has already been declared. That verdict has already been spoken if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and it is not guilty. That's what this table is meant to remind us of. So as you come to this table, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have trusted in Him and in Him alone for your right standing with God, you have sought to obey Him, Not that you're perfect, but you are repentant of your sins and you want to please him. You have been baptized as a sign that shows that you do belong to him. You're a member in good standing of a church that holds you accountable, which preaches this gospel. It doesn't have to be this church. If that's you, we invite you to come to this table to see and to taste that the Lord is good. Let us pray. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to come to the table of the Lord. Here we have in this rich imagery a clear reminder that Jesus is the one who died in our place, and for this we give you thanks. But not only did he die, he was raised from the dead, and he proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that he had indeed defeated sin, death, hell, and the devil. And he ascended into heaven and sits now, even right now, at the right hand of God the Father. And from there, sitting on the throne... He has taken upon himself, taken that that scroll that was given to him, and he is unfolding all of history in perfect accord with your eternal decree so that we know that whatever comes our way is coming from his hand. And so, fathers, we come to this table and we wonder, does God love me? Does he care for me? Is he with me in the midst of this trial and this tribulation through which I'm coming? We need only to be reminded that what comes comes from his hand for our good that he's promised to be with us even to the end of the age. And we pray that as we come and we see and taste and touch and in every way experience this bread and this wine, as real as these things are to our senses, so real may the love of Christ be to us. Might we be reminded of his commitment to us. 
To that end, Father, we pray that you take this bread and this wine, translate it from a common and ordinary use to a holy and sacramental use, that through it we would be strengthened, that we would be comforted, encouraged, assured, and enabled and equipped to live lives to the glory of your Son, Jesus. We pray these things in his name, the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, just as we, ministering in his name, give unto you. Our Lord said, take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, our Lord took the cup.
Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the divided wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace that might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Our Lord said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. All of you, drink of it. that you have given us. We thank you that you have provided us with everything that we need. We have food, we have clothing, we have homes, we have cars, we have jobs, we have so many things. But you've also given us what we most need in regards to our faith. You've brought us to your son, Jesus. You've brought us into your kingdom. And indeed, as we come to Jesus, we realize he's not just the giver of all good things, but he is the one good thing that we most need, and you have granted us him. We have been fed with word. We have been fed by sacrament, and during this time of worship, you've given us your very self. What more can we want? We are the richest of all people. In response, Father, we bring you now our tithes, our offerings, indeed the whole of our lives. And we pray that you would use it 
for extending your kingdom even to the uttermost ends of the earth, for edifying and nurturing your believers wherever they might be, and ultimately for exalting and magnifying the name of the Lord Jesus Christ before the eyes of a dying world. We pray these things, Father, in his name. Amen. Receive now the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, both now and forevermore. Amen.